0: Welcome to Blackhawks Insider, the official podcast of the Chicago Blackhawks presented by ChevyDriveChicago.com. Drive, what Kane and Taves drive. I'm Carter Baum. We're back for another season of Blackhawks Insider, and uh, we've got some exciting new changes for the show this year. We're calling in the A-team, the full assortment of Blackhawks broadcast talent. Chris Vosters and Kaylee Chelios will be joining Colby Cohen and I every week. We're adding a couple new segments to the rotation to – up the ante pun intended there uh and you'll see why later we'll get uh, a regular schedule this season a new episode dropping every wednesday during the year we're going to bring you the best guests from around the organization the league and beyond and starting no other with no other today than uh new head coach luke richardson later in today's episode but first off chris kaylee welcome to the show alongside colby and i uh Sorry you're stuck with us every week from now on, but we'll have some fun along the way. Uh, Glad to have you both aboard uh, to start the year.
1: Thanks. I I could think of worse people to be stuck with for the season, but really excited to be on the show this year. Thanks a lot for having me, and I'm excited about the resources that we're putting into this thing. I, I like the fact that it's going to be every week, whether the Hawks are at home or on the road, and I'm just excited to see where the conversation goes on the podcast.
2: Yeah, thank you for having us. Uh, as if we didn't get enough of each other last season, it was get to get to know all of you and I cannot wait to see what comes out of this this year. I think it's going to be a lot of fun and you know, on ice is is going to be what it is and hopefully we get to have double the fun on here. <laughs>
3: Well, Kaylee, when Chris is on the road calling hockey games, we're just gonna sleep at NBC and we'll do our show late night, and then we'll end up just recording podcasts for the rest of the time. So that's we're just we're just growing the roster. Yeah, we're we'll we're gonna be professional to we'll sure podcasters before
2: you know it. <laughs> Lots of coffee on deck. I'll get Colby to start going. Same same level as me. I'm Double holding, shot I'm, espresso. I'm
3: holding out.
2: <laughs> I'm not gonna you, pay fourteen dollars
1: for UberEats coffee delivery though
2: desperate times Chris I don't know you how gotta to do use what the uh, do. what's the name of the um uh, I can't remember the name of the machine that my husband bought I don't know how to use it <laughs> the, the Keurig it's not a Kelly Keurig. I'll know I have a problem when, a when you're when you're driving and <laughs>
3: when, when you're driving 90 minutes to the office just for caffeinated water mm. that's when I know we we have a problem and we have to worry about you
2: Hater's gonna hate when we, we all go to the bevy machine. before practice. I promise I'll change your mind. You're gonna be dreaming of the bevy machine before we go to the games, <laughs> just like I do. I did go to
3: the no. I did go to the office last week one day, and I specifically told Chris when we walked in. I was like, I'm gonna go that way because I want to go check this water machine, and. Nina, who's like the executive, um, you know, office manager in the middle, was like, where are you going with that cup? And I was like, oh, I'm going to see the bevy machine that Kaylee keeps telling me about. And she's like, yeah, it's out of water. And I'm Ooh. like, I literally drove here for the bevy machine. I mean, it. I couldn't catch that.
2: It's only happened to me once.
3: Yeah. There, <laughs> there was mutiny in the front office with the bevy machine down.
1: Let me tell you.
2: Well, how I can a water a, machine a be of out flavors. of water? What kind of
3: water machine is that?
2: I mean, have you seen it? Pay it some respect. Caffeine, (laughs) electrolytes, immunity, four different flavors. Like, if you're a beverage person like myself, (laughs) it takes a lot of work.
0: It's a popular stop for sure. Everyone's there all day. You can see how it runs out of water. Colby, you're missing out. You'll you'll get onto it at some point. I'm addicted Uh myself, so, you know, (laughs) half the show. I don't know, Chris, where you stand on that, but
1: more he's of a it. more of a traditional beverage consumer I, I like uh just coffee and diet coke but you know maybe maybe i'll get around <laughs> to the bevy at some point
3: it's because chris is 30 years old but he's really at like a 70 year old level coffee and diet <laughs> coke you know i know what i like
4: <laughs>
0: all right it, enough water talk we're five minutes into the show we've got our bevy sponsorship in there um enough caffeine talk but uh we're all here. We're getting ready for the season. The Blackhawks open up on the road in Colorado on Wednesday night. Chris, uh, you're in Denver with the team. you got a practice under the belt uh, on Monday, another one coming up on, on Tuesday afternoon as we get set to kick off the year. I uh, just want to real quick go around the horns, get uh, everyone's kind of thoughts on, on preseason, any takeaways, what you're excited for for the season, a new uh a new year, a whole new outlook on the year. We've got Luke Richardson as a head coach, Kyle Davidson in his first full season mm-hmm. as a GM, uh, full-on rebuild in the works. We've seen a lot of changes in the offseason, but uh, what's everyone kind of kind of feeling coming out of preseason? What are you seeing on the ice, off the ice? What gets you excited uh, for the year?
1: Well, I think for me, it was my first NHL offseason season. And I kind of thought it would be a time when everybody took their vacation, relaxed, caught their breath. And I realized that there was never a dull moment from when the offseason began to when the preseason started. And I think it's really exciting to see just the the plan not only talked about but, but being executed now for, for general manager Kyle Davidson and the hockey ops staff. I thought the draft was really exciting, the way that – the day started and the Blackhawks had no first round draft picks and they ended the night with three. I'll I'll never forget. I was at Colby's place. We were grilling pork chops thinking it was going to be kind of a ho-hum night. And then all of a sudden we had forgotten our food and we're just locked into the TV watching the first round as Kyle Davidson wheeled and dealed. And then that excitement carried over into prospect camp and development camp even before that so I think there's there's a lot of excitement in the organization right now especially at the prospect level and then at the at the at the big league roster too it'll be exciting to see how the new pieces gel with the returning veterans namely Patrick Kane and and Jonathan Taves.
0: Colby what'd you eat that night what happened to the pork chops? (laughs)
3: I mean, I I don't know how Chris remembers what, exactly what we were grilling, but, you know, kudos to him for having a good memory. <laughs> now we just need to get him to remember some players' names on the ice, but um, <laughs> it was exciting. Like, I will give Chris that, and I think that we were kind of thinking, all right, we'll watch the draft, and I would – Uh, We would kind of talk about some different things during the draft. I mean, for me personally, I always enjoy watching the draft because I remember that experience um, like really well, actually. Remember the days leading up to it, you know, remember um, those first two rounds of the draft, sort of sitting there on eggshells, like waiting to hear your name called. And then obviously, like when you do hear your name called, that whole process. So I enjoy watching not just the NHL draft, actually. I like to watch the NFL draft, too, just because it's cool to see, like, the emotion on people's faces and their families' responses and just being able to kind of put myself in those shoes. But, you know, Chris and I were, like, like he said, we were expecting a, a pretty laid-back evening. And then all of a sudden, you know, things started happening. And it was, court- you know, it was 7th, and then it was 13th, and then it was, you know, 25th, as as that or whatever number. I think Renzel went 25th, right? So, yeah. That was cool, and, um, you know, the, the, the off season was definitely a busy one. You know, we had a lot of changes going on within, you know, the broadcast team, uh, you know, the on-ice team, but I think just kind of running through the summer into this early part of the season, Carter, is, is, you know, the transparency of the plan. You know, Kaylee and I were talking with David Kaplan last night on Unfiltered, um, about the fact that there's transparency in the organization right now, and, and you know there's a mountain to climb, and there's going to be you know bumps and bruises, but at the end of the day, all you can really ask for in this business is a plan and transparency. And you know, Kaylee, I don't know if you <clears throat> kind of felt the same way when we were talking to Cap about it last night, but I certainly feel good about that.
2: Yeah, I feel like last season was weird because, you know, we got Seth Jones signed, we had McCabe signed, we had Flurry signed. There wasn't really clarity on what situation the team was in. And then they went on that long losing streak to start the season, coaching change. Like you said, this year, so much transparency. I think we all feel pretty good and energized about the excitement from the front office. There's a plan. There's you know, honesty, and so our expectations for the season are not like last season, where it was kind of like, are they going to be a playoff team? Like, are they going to potentially be able to lean on some of these veterans? And I think it was a short summer for everybody. Like, when you talk to the the scouting staff at development camp, they had nine days off the whole summer. Kevin Korchinski said his vacation was in Montreal with his family at the draft. Like, that was his time away from the ice. So, It was a long summer and not a lot of rest, but mentally, I think for the broadcasters, for the front office, for everybody in and out of the organization, it's going to be an exciting year. Everybody's on the same page. We're all excited to see a lot of these young, talented players come up. And you know, Luke Richardson, too, I think he's a um, really good coach, and I'm looking forward to seeing kind of how the guys respond to him this season. So short summer for everybody, but... A lot to look forward to now.
0: Hectic times and a couple preseason games under the belt. Chris, I have to ask you, of course, about uh, the game in Milwaukee. What was that like Uh, going home uh, for a a preseason game on the road? Uh, Incredible atmosphere there. One of the six preseason games the Blackhawks played. Um, What was that experience like in that game against Minnesota?
1: Well, it, it was a very, very proud moment for me personally, Carter, and, and thanks for asking. Obviously, there's not an NHL presence in Wisconsin, at the very least an, an intermittent one, as it was the first time the Blackhawks had played in Wisconsin in 30 years. So I, I felt like it was a, a way for people from Chicago to come up and check out my home state in the city of Milwaukee, either by coming up to the, to the Deer District or by watching the broadcast on television. I think one thing that was actually pretty cool, they discovered that over 80% of people who bought tickets for that game lived in Wisconsin. So I think that answers a big question that the Blackhawks had going into the event is how much interest is there in the NHL in Wisconsin? And I I think the answer is there's a, a very ripe market to continue to grow the game, especially at the NHL level in Wisconsin. And walking around the, the Deer District, the area outside of Fiserv Forum where the Milwaukee Bucks play. That that was the, the pregame festival that went on before the game actually started. And then just doing a an eye scan in the arena. I noticed a lot of hockey jerseys that were neither Chicago Blackhawks nor Minnesota Wild. And I thought that was a really cool part about the event also, that it felt like a pan hockey event. There were just hockey fans, fans of the game there. It felt like, you were at the, the Super Bowl or, or a, you know, a Pro Bowl event or something like that where you see fans wearing all kinds of different NFL jerseys. It felt like that kind of event, but in the NHL. And so I, I thought it was a really good way to showcase the game and, and not just the Blackhawks. So credit to the organization. I, I hope they come back. I hope they do a regular season game or maybe a few days of training camp up there. Um, you know I, I think they're just scratching the surface about, about where they can take the NHL in Wisconsin. Okay, Chris, but hold on those, a sec. Hold on. How many eighty five percent. How much eighty
0: five percent was was, uh, was were Chris you, Foster's buying. Yeah, I, I was gonna I say was just gonna how many say, people
2: came. Like
0: <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you guys the real reason why Chris really
3: loved Wisconsin because this was the first time Chris got to walk around with Sharpie and more people wanted pictures and autographs from Chris than Sharpie. I mean, it felt like I was walking around that building with Ringo Starr, you know, uh, t- 40 years ago as Chris was stopping to take autograph, you know, to give autographs and take pictures with everyone. So, wait, I saw I, Ringo Starr. I just wanted Star to make sure summer. that I added that context.
2: I have to add that. You did. I really? saw Ringo Starr this summer and <laughs> I clothing shop. about the shop. summer and- there were belts, did you, and he was and he was doing he this on the belts, and I knew he was important by everyone's reaction, but I couldn't quite gauge who he was. And then when he left the store, I found that out. But I just had to throw that in there because I haven't talked about Ringo Starr much. Did
3: somebody tell you? Well, did somebody the lady, tell you yeah, the lady,
2: yeah, the lady in the store selling the clothes said, "Oh my gosh, Ringo Starr just gave us a performance on the belts."
3: <laughs> now oh, is that is is that the, Kaylee? Is that the kind of the celebrity that? Like, I would usually, if I saw somebody that I thought was, like, a really cool celebrity, I would not walk up to them and bother them for, like, a picture or anything like that. But I feel like certain people you would because they're just so larger than life. Is Ringo Starr in that category? Like, do you walk up to him if you know it's him and say, can we take a photo together? Like, I might. I don't know how you feel about that. I
2: mean, I didn't recognize him, so I would say no. But, yeah, probably. I don't know, actually. That's a hard one to answer. (laughs) I but if you knew it was I him,
3: will. okay. No. You've also I, had a lot of, I mean, you also <laughs> had like some like legit, I mean, all of my favorite celebrities were probably at your wedding. I mean, like Johnny McEnroe and all these other people. So you're I like a little more I would rather get a picture it, with Chris
2: Fosters in the calling his first game in <sighs> Milwaukee than Ringo Starr. So how about it, Chris?
3: Wow. Sorry, Jeez. Chris. I'm not on that bandwagon. I'm blushing. Love you, bud. <laughs> you. Not, not, I'm not taking that bait. Sorry. So there were actually people that were
1: throwing Patrick Sharp jerseys to sign into the broadcast booth while we were doing the game. So I didn't have that level of celebrity status, but, you know, I'll, I'll take a 50, 50 split with Sharpie for the Milwaukee game (laughs) for star power. (laughs)
0: We'll get there. Uh, Kaylee and, and then Colby, I'm just interested overall in the preseason. Any any standouts among some of these young prospects and just a lot of new names that fans are getting to know and, and learn more about, maybe people they've heard about in a couple drafts past, but anyone sticking out to you as um, maybe not a part of the NHL roster yet, but people to really watch out for, guys to watch out for as the year goes along?
2: The biggest takeaway for me, I'm sure Colby might agree too, is Kevin Korczynski from the prospect showcase to transitioning into the NHL. You know these players are playing the the best hockey of their lives, and I don't think the coaching staff or the scouting staff had enough great things to say about Korczynski and just where he's at, um, his elite level of play and how it transitioned pretty seamlessly at the NHL level. I know it's just preseason, but he's somebody who I think Blackhawks fans can be really excited to see hopefully progress. And the staff will continue to talk to him when he goes back to Seattle and he plays at WHL. So, I mean, they have a very deep defensive pool that may mean, like, they're going to have to lose some guys to be able to to get some forwards in action. But – I really liked Korczynski's game. I think Regula and Vlasic look like they've taken steps. Uh, Regula being able to play in his first playoffs at the American Hockey League level last year, along with a lot of those defensemen, I think is going to – that's where you want them to play in the playoffs. That's the kind of hockey you want for those kind of players to be able to develop. You don't want them to – they're not going to develop at the NHL level. So him and Vlasic, to me – I'm going with the blue liner defense theme because we've talked a lot with Luke Richardson and, you know, the new defensive system. This team is kind of getting a new identity, and I think Luke Richardson is, is going to have a good impact on, on the D Corps and their – whether it's man-to-man or it's zone defense or whatever, like, it's about accountability. And I think we're seeing some very high-caliber, talented young defensemen coming up and – um you know, it, it's just a matter of being accountable and doing all the little things, Colby.
3: Yeah. And, and you know, Kaylee kind of touched on some of those high end prospects that the Blackhawks now have in their stable. But, you know, I really like Colton Dock at the end of preseason. He only got one game. You know, we know the last name very well around here for obvious reasons. Um, but it was good to see Colton, you know, have an impact in an NHL preseason game. I think last year he was kind of feeling his way through. I think, you know, it's a little different when, you know, your, your older brother's here uh, with a big name. And so I think he was able to come here, be himself, show that uh, he's, he's close to playing at this level. And to me, he looked like he was. He missed a little time of the concussion, uh, being in concussion protocol. But, you know, he gets that last game. He plays well. He goes back to Kelowna in the WHL. He gets named team captain uh, yesterday or the day before. So obviously, you like to see your players, you know, being named a captain in, in at their various levels and bringing that leadership aspect. So uh you know all in all look I I think the young players are the are the real exciting part of the future of this organization and and I don't think anybody's been anything but transparent about that as of late so certainly a a lot to like from preseason Carter
0: a lot of exciting things um I want to get moving now we've we've talked a little bit about the Blackhawks setting up the season we'll have a lot to talk about as the show and, and the season goes along but uh Chris, you had a chance to catch up with our good friend Joe Brand yesterday, uh, do a little preseason look at what some of the betting lines are like around the NHL. I mean, the four of us sitting here, unfortunately, uh, are not allowed to bet on the NHL as employees of the team. But uh, we decided to tap in a a good friend in in Joe Brand to be able to give us some advice and uh, tap into the sports betting world just just a tad, uh, Chris. I don't know if you have any any takeaways or any any quick thoughts before we toss it over to your uh, your great little segment there that we're calling line change uh, for a nice little pun there uh, as well.
1: Well, you'll find that that Joe Brand was more than up to the task for giving us an outlook on the sports book scene at the start of the NHL season, and and look, it's become such a big part of all of professional sports. The gambling that is that I think even from a broadcast perspective even though we can't bet on the games I think it's still important to just know where the the storylines and the trends are in that quadrant of the industry and the sport so I thought it was a really interesting conversation I'm really glad that it's going to be a, a recurring segment throughout this season and I think it's going to help me understand the game a lot more quite frankly.
0: Nothing gets you excited for a game like having having a little money on it. I say that not talking about NHL games, <laughs> but uh, college football, NFL. I was white knuckling it last night as Travis Kelsey, who is I'm, I'm playing against <laughs> in my fantasy team. Uh, was racking up four touchdowns for the Chiefs. but uh, Yeah, my well,
3: wife's like, why are you so invested in the uh, Denver Broncos versus the Seattle Seahawks game? I'm like, you just, okay, relax.
0: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, we'll toss it over now to our good friend Joe Brandon. He'll give you a look around the NHL, uh, some of the odds at uh, at different positions, uh, who's going to win the Cup, some of the, the annual trophy winners. He gets you set up for uh, the 2022-23 year.
1: All right, it is time for the next segment of the podcast now, so time for a line change, and you'll realize that pun is absolutely intended there because that's the next name for our segment, line changes, and I'm thrilled to welcome in my good buddy Joe Brand, who's the Blackhawks pregame and postgame show host on 720 WGN. Joe and I actually go back to our days in minor league baseball together, so Joe, it's awesome to see you on the hockey side of things and really excited for this segment this year, my man.
4: Likewise, pal. And, uh, man, a pun like that is just a Chris Foster's <laughs> segue-worthy, like like many of your fantastic broadcasts, so I'm uh, honored to be a part of it.
1: Yeah, man, I, I know you're a baseball guy and a hockey guy, but but the hair, man, is, is screaming hockey guy. You got some serious <laughs> flow up top, my dude. Uh, all right, look, I cannot bet – Unfortunately, which, it, which is a bummer, but it's one of the particulars of my job. So I'm going to be on the sidelines betting-wise this season. However, we're really excited to welcome you in to this segment for some betting insight throughout the season. And here we are on the doorstep of another NHL regular season. So I figured it'd be great to get some futures information from you on not just playoff outcomes, but also some award winners as well uh a chance for some fans who are into the gambling space to get some insight on on ways to buy low and hopefully get some, some big payouts come the end of the season. So does that sound good to you?
4: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm honored to uh be the gateway to your vice of gambling since you're unable to. <laughs> All right, man. Uh let's let
1: it rip and I guess start with the obvious Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, the Blackhawks, of course, open their season against the defending Stanley Cup champions, the Colorado Avalanche. I've heard a lot of people say that, that the Avalanche are their trendy pick to run it back and repeat as Stanley Cup champions. What kind of information are you hearing about the Stanley Cup Finals?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not uh, an outrageous idea to go with Colorado to repeat. We've seen it recently in the NHL with Tampa Bay being able to do it. Um, but really, if, you, if you're going to throw down money on a futures like a team to win the Stanley Cup final, I think it's just definitely uh, worth it to explore your options. I'll give you a quick example in a different sport. On Sunday when the Bears played the Vikings, they were down 21-3. They were down 21-10 at half. So I threw $10 bucks on the Bears at halftime because they were plus 800 Not expecting them to fully make a comeback, even though they almost did, But right after they scored the first touchdown in the third quarter, I was able to cash out and make a profit of 15 bucks. Obviously a small sample size, but those are the types of bets that you can do with these long-term futures in the NHL. So of course, Colorado at plus four fifty is very enticing already on its own. But a team like the New York Rangers at plus eighteen hundred, again, if you make this bet, you don't need New York to win the Stanley Cup in order to cash out some profit from it. If they get off to a good start, if they're playing really well come the middle of the season maybe you can cash out and gain a profit that way on its own so I do like the New York Rangers for the Stanley Cup bet and I kind of like the Tampa Bay Lightning too they're at plus 1200 could they make it back to the Stanley Cup finals for the fourth straight year if they do you're probably going to be able to cash out on a profit so there's an option for you right there and again with all these other teams it's just important to look around and the other bet I want to point out Chris is You can on FanDuel go to what division will be the Stanley Cup winner. So again, the central, the favorite with Colorado Mm -hmm. being in it at plus two twenty five. But in the Metro, you've got Carolina, you've got the New York Rangers, you've got Pittsburgh, who a lot of people still think are gonna make some noise, and the Columbus Blue Jackets who now have Johnny Hockey. Again, Those teams don't have to win the Stanley Cup in order for you to make money on it. So if you go with the Metro at plus 310 and a few of those teams, maybe all those teams make it to the postseason, you could cash out with a bit of a profit. All
1: right, so it's good to know that fans have some options there, and it's not necessarily a a one-and-done scenario. You mentioned some teams and some conferences and, and divisions, and that's where I want to go next. What are you looking at? What are you hearing about conference and division winners? I know, for one, the Blackhawks division, the Central Division, seems to be loaded. I mean, Colorado, again, is in the Central Division, but Minnesota, Dallas, St. Louis, Nashville, all playoff contending teams. And then the Wild Wild East, I think, is uh, maybe an appropriate moniker this season. The Eastern Conference seems wide open.
4: Yeah, well, let's start with the Central, and I'm glad you brought it up. Um, Obviously, Colorado, again, the favorite at minus 145, and all these numbers are coming from FanDuel. Uh, Minnesota at plus 400 to win the division. And again, making a bet like this is more inclined towards cashing out a little bit early if something goes right. And the reason I point out Minnesota, listen, we saw the Hawks play the Minnesota Wild. Obviously, the Blackhawks aren't going to be Minnesota's toughest competition this year. Minnesota starts this year their first five games against the Rangers, the Kings, the Avalanche, Vancouver, and Boston. a pretty solid first five games to start the year. Their next ten games, they play the Blackhawks, they play Montreal twice, they play Seattle twice, and then they play San Jose. They're also taking on Ottawa, Detroit, Anaheim, kind of middle-of-the-tier teams. So I really like their lack of strength of schedule through the first 15 games of the season, if you do go ahead and make a bet on Minnesota at plus 400, maybe Colorado starts off a little bit rough with the I don't know hangover of winning a Stanley Cup and a short off season. You can capitalize on that. So again, it's all about making an educated bet for a future's opportunity and then watching how that changes, watching what type of profit you can pull from it as the season goes along. As far as the East, uh, it's kind of tough. Metro, I, I do like Carolina, but again, I kind of go back to the Rangers at plus 350. For an opportunity to get some type of profit, the Atlantic is interesting. Also, I do like Toronto. A lot of people are big on Toronto. They're at plus 180, so that is a profit if you bet 100. But more importantly, you're not asking Toronto to win a playoff series. You're just asking them to win the division. So maybe it's a little bit easier for people to go behind the Maple Leafs if that's what they're looking for. How about the the Presidents' Cup?
1: Most regular season points for a team this season. You know, there were a lot of 100-point teams last season across the NHL. What are you thinking about long shots or dark horses when it comes to total points this
4: season? For total points, kind of some of the heavy hitters that I mentioned earlier, like the New York Rangers and Carolina. Uh, The other thing I've been keeping my eye on is teams to make it to 100 points this upcoming year. Uh, The L.A. Kings – are at plus 172 to just get 100 points. They had 99 points last year. They have had some turnover, but one of them is acquiring Kevin Fiala, so that should definitely help them uh, moving forward. And then another interesting one is Boston as well, and that might kind of live and die with how they do to begin the season without Charlie McAvoy and Brad Marchand, but they're at plus 164 to get at least 100 points this season on the regular season landscape. So those are the two interesting bets. Again, I'm not 100%... Uh, going forward with those. But if those are teams you root for or those are teams you're on the fence about, it gives you a rooting interest and just something to look at throughout the entire year of, of getting at least 100 points.
1: Yeah, and in Boston, certainly, uh, they're getting older, but don't want to count against a, a veteran group like that. It's an interesting point there, Joe, for sure. Uh, let's look at individual awards. Uh, the MVP race, I mean, it, it certainly seems like it, it's Connor McDavid and, and Austin Matthews. What about uh, someone, again, a, a dark horse, someone
4: that is a, a trendy pick beyond some of the heavyweights? Yeah, it's funny, because when I was looking up this, everyone's just talking about, you know, will Connor McDavid do it again? Will Austin Matthews do it again, getting his first one just last season? And Connor McDavid seems to be, well, is pretty much the favorite. Uh, Austin Matthews not, Matthews not too far behind him. McDavid at plus 260, Matthews at plus 420. Uh, one guy that started popping up though as I started researching this was Jonathan Huberdo now on Calgary mm. at plus 1600. Mm. A lot of people are expecting him to make a big step forward on an offense heavy calgary team. So this is as I was saying earlier, you know you have the opportunity to make a bet with a long shot uh, here at the beginning of the season and then just see how that line moves or how that line changes as we're here on <laughs> line changes. Um, so, but that you know that that might turn into be somewhat of a semi bluff. You know, you throw money on Huberdo. keep an eye on him as the season progresses, but who knows, maybe he can co- come forward with it too. But I don't think it's a dumb bet either if you go on Connor McDavid, again, who's plus 260. A lot of this comes down to health. Who's going to be healthy uh, for the majority of the season because that's going to play a, a big role in obviously how many games you play, but how much production you have as well. whooby dooby
1: doo had uh, that historic season last year with the Florida Panthers. Interesting to see him wearing a, a different colored sweater up in Calgary. How about the, the Vesna Trophy winner, best
4: goalie in the NHL? What are you hearing or reading about that? I kind of like Ego, uh, Igor Shesterkin now with the New York Rangers signing a nice deal and probably becoming a little bit more comfortable in his role. Um, I, I just I like what the New York Rangers uh, are bringing forward this year, naming their new captain and being all confident with it and having some unfinished business from last season. And you know, Shosturkin, who obviously had a good year last year, trying to ride some of that momentum forward. Uh, I, I like him as not so much my safest bet, but the most ideal bet right now. There's there's always Andre Vasilevsky as well in Tampa Bay.
1: I know a lot of people certainly, he, he wouldn't be a dark horse. He he, he might just be a, one of the favorites as well. But Shosturkin had that great season last year, and it, it does sound like you're high on the Rangers, Joe. So that's uh, that's good insight as well. We'll, we'll keep it on, on that side of the puck. Norris Trophy, best defenseman. A lot of good defensemen in the NHL right now, it seems like.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Cal McCarr obviously being the top one, the favorites, uh, the guy that won it last season, obviously on a fantastic Colorado team. Uh, much like what I was bringing up in the MVP race for the Hart Trophy, a couple of long shots that have been catching my eye. These are coming from Odd Shark. Uh, John Carlson of Washington at plus 3,500. And uh, Aaron Ekblad of Florida at plus 1100. Again, a couple of guys that maybe throw some money on them right now. See what type of profit you're making as the season goes along. People think that Carlson has all the utilities, all the things you need to win the award. He's had the second most points by a defenseman since 2019. He's had the most points per game since 2017. And uh, Aaron Ekblad was just third with most points last year, only behind Makar and Roman Yossi. So again, guys to just maybe throw a little money on, see what type of profit you can get throughout the year. But uh, again, I don't think you're too unwise if you uh, go ahead with Cal Makar as well.
1: What do you think is a good betting strategy when it comes to the, the Calder Memorial Trophy Rookie of the Year? I mean, that seems like it's more often than not going to be a a pretty wide open race Uh, you like backing one horse in particular or spreading your money around and and maybe getting behind a a few different players for that
4: award see honestly Chris I I don't know how crazy I am about this but not only because it's so unpredictable what a rookie can do even though the NHL is more predictable than other sports but how much time is a guy going to get and how much uh How much confidence is each head coach going to have in in each of these young players? I mean, Matty Berniers at the top at plus 400. you got Owen Power, the uh, Chicago Steel uh, alum, at plus 500. So, I mean, it's kind of a tight race. McTavish at plus 600. So, all those are are pretty tight within. So, it's a little bit dangerous. I I don't know exactly which way I would go. I think you've got to have a good feel on what each team's plan for each player is if you're going to throw down money on that bet. And just kind of be willing for anything to happen because, again, it's, it's rookies. We're not quite sure uh, how each year is going to look at their first in the NHL.
1: Yeah, hail to the victors uh, playing somewhere with uh, Matty Beniers and, and Owen Power, both Michigan men and on the brink of very promising NHL careers, it sounds like. Joe, this has been great, and certainly looking forward to revisiting these lines with you and much more during the course of the season. You can catch Joe, remember, on the pregame and postgame show for the Blackhawks on 720 WGN. Joe also hosts Blackhawks Live every Monday at 7 p.m. Central time during the regular season. And you're a social media darling as well. You're uh, trying out the Twitter
4: spaces sphere a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah, we're giving that a go. Uh, We're trying to incorporate it in at least one of our pregame segments. Um, Just just fun to, you know, put it on another platform, remind people where they can find us. But, yeah, just as always, if anyone's coming into the United Center, tune in to 720 WGN on your way in, on your way home. Tune in as well. Shoot us a call. Maybe vent a little bit or celebrate a a good night out that you had at the United Center. You know, we, we don't discriminate too much. Uh but uh obviously it's radio, so you still gotta mind your P's and Q's on the air, Chris. And no doubt.
1: No, no doubt about that. Uh Joe Brand, thank you very much. Uh, I'll see you at the rink, my man.
4: Sounds good, pal. I'll see you soon.
0: Thank you to our good friend Joe Brand from WGN Radio. You can hear him uh pregame, postgame intermission, uh during during the radio broadcast with uh he does a great job there. Between the times where you're hearing John Weideman, Troy Murray, and, and Kaylee Chelios, Joe Brand gets you covered there. Uh, on the radio broadcast, uh, moving from one segment to another, another new one we're adding this year, guys. Uh, this is this is me tossing some questions at you, uh, putting you guys on the hot seat. We're going to call this Chicago sellies or chirps. So every, uh, every time we do this segment, I'm going to toss out just three quick hitters. Uh, you're either going to – Sell it, you know something that you like, something that you're you're all about, or chirp. Uh, you're going to tell us why you don't like it, which one uh, or what you found wrong with it, what you don't like. So we're going to give it a shot. We're going to start off with, uh, you know, we're in the month of October. It's not only hockey season, but uh, Halloween's right around the corner. I don't know if you guys heard locally on the news here in Chicago. There's a, a family um, out in the suburbs, you know, in Plainfield. They're well known for their uh, Stranger Things Halloween display, and they've had some issues with it. Uh, some neighbors didn't like it. They had to take it down because of the amount of traffic it was causing around, uh, around their neighborhood. Um, the family worked with the town and the local police. They got a whole display, a whole traffic plan worked out around it. They went through a lot of hurdles to get their Stranger Things Halloween display back online, back in action. Uh, you, can, you can Google it. Uh, there's a couple different stories on it if you want the background on it, but I'm just curious. Halloween, uh, Stranger Things, turning your entire front yard into a giant display. I grew up with some people like this in my neighborhood growing up. I got to know, is that a celly or a chirp? What are your takes on the over-the-top Halloween displays uh, that, that you see around town?
1: Listen guys, I I'll, I I'll I'll, uh, I'll, well listen I'll just say that I've never <laughs> I've never watched an episode of Stranger Things. So Kaylee, I think you should definitely weigh in before me.
2: Have you, Colby? mm oh, I I well, mean I tried
3: I tried it, Kaylee, but I just didn't get into it.
2: Great. It's one of my favorite shows. So I'm biased. I feel like this is a huge win for Plainfield for Halloween. <laughs> I thought that was one of the best. I still don't get how they, how she was up there, like where the strings are and how she stayed up there. But that was one of my favorite scenes with that song. Cause it was like a one hit wonder, but like secretly an unbelievable song that they pulled. So like the whole thing from the scene was amazing. Mad Max, who was the girl who's hanging was my favorite character as well. So I don't know how you guys would respond to thousands or hundreds of people lining up on the street after that to see it. Like, that would be uncomfortable. I read that the neighbors came out with a bat at one point to kind of, like, deal with the amount of traffic they were getting. So, from a safety perspective, I don't think I would do something like that and put it on TikTok now. But that was the coolest Halloween display I might have ever seen, I would say, creativity-wise. I
1: I would – I mean, I would say this to Selly. Personally, I I mean, I – I, at the same time, I wouldn't want to be stuck in traffic trying to get home after work. So I'm sure that the that the family that put the display up didn't even anticipate, couldn't have anticipated what a sensation it became, both virally and in real life. So I think it seems like the situation's under control now, now that, that the police are able to regulate the flow of traffic. If you look at the, at the block or the street where this house is, I mean, there's not a lot of space between driveways and and one neighbor in particular I mean it's like the the easement in between the two properties is virtually non-existent so I mean whatever was going on at at the Stranger Things house was basically going on in their front yard as well I mean that would get old pretty quick but you see all kinds of crazy stuff like this when people trick out their houses for Christmas so I don't have a problem with it I I think it certainly got out of hand but I mean now that it's now that we've established some parameters, I think it's a, I think it's an awesomely creative idea.
3: Yeah, and I'll just tack on to the fact that I love it because I don't have to live next to them. If I had to live <laughs> next to them, I would be the the, the neighbor with the bat probably. So I, I think it's great because I don't live anywhere near it, and
0: I don't have to deal with it. And it would be kind of Every, funny if it happened to you, temporary. though,
2: Chris. Everything is temporary.
0: <laughs> no, but I'm looking at this. With the new rules, they are allowed to have the full display with lights and sound and everything going from five to ten on Friday and Saturday, and on Sunday from four to nine. I wouldn't want every weekend of mine in October ruined by being just happen to be this person's neighbor. I'm all for Halloween, well, we have just me. <laughs> we we have a our neighbor
3: one house down, which actually is a. It was a funeral home, I I guess, back in the day that was converted into a house. I mean, it's a sick house. They've got, like, their own lot next to their house. That's their yard. And they've got this, like, amazing outdoor living and, like, yard situation. Well, they go all out on their Halloween decorations to the point where at night they've got, like, these clowns that are, like, hanging from trees that are, like, looking like they're from that movie It. They've got this one, like... It almost looks like, um, you know, from the ring and the hand like reaches out of their yard onto the sidewalk. And when you get by it, uh, it it starts to make noise and it like you know it goes ha ah, ah, ha ah, ha and it's like it. <laughs> and honestly, when you're when I go outside at night, you know it's like ten o'clock at night. I'm gonna take my dogs for their last walk of the night. You know, sometimes I walk out there. I mean, it scares the out of me because like you're not ready for it you're just trying to get your dogs out to go for the walk and all of a sudden this like dead girl's hand is like reaching from you and you like look down and you're just like so yeah it's all good and fun until it affects you and you end up like tripping on the sidewalk at 10 o'clock with your two dogs and you know you're scraping your knee or something so you know all fun and games right
0: you just got to keep your balance there um all right moving on the Wait, team on, is on second, the road this week second. to open the season. Go ahead, Chris. Sorry, I ahead. just want to ask Kaylee, one more take like,
1: away. are you are you going to go to the house, Kaylee? Are you like are you that big of a fan where you would go to the house yourself?
2: I was going to say that. No, I I wouldn't drive all the way there to go. I don't know. If it was closer to me, I might take a <laughs> the peek. Are yeah, I might on the way home from work when it's midnight after a game, take a sneaky peek, but it's like an hour away or so, so I'm not going that far. The TikTok was enough to excite me. I also think I called her Mad Max. I think her name's just Max, but Mad Max is also a good movie. <laughs> um, is, uh, yeah. But, yeah, it's a very good movie. But I would not go drive to go see it, I don't believe. I don't know. Now you're. Now I'm like, I'm going to go do it, and I'm going to take a picture of it.
0: <laughs> we'll post it's got to it be at, at do a do good it.
2: time, though. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it, and I'll send a picture in our group chat.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, the team's opening on the road. uh, first three games in colorado vegas san jose while they are gone and before the bull season really kicks into full gear at the united center uh it has been transformed into harry's house harry styles with i believe six shows in like a 10-day period at the united center uh i gotta tell you we're i think halfway through now what night did you go carter i haven't been yet um you know that's just not my not my taste i'm more of a, a country music guy myself so i don't oh, think okay. harry styles i figured is...
3: i kind of thought you'd be like in the front in in you know standing room
0: no not you're for a me. windy city smokeout guy but uh i love windy city smokeout. that is more my vibe <laughs> but uh i gotta Willy tell you Nelson. walking into the office exactly okay well i'm gonna have to check in with
3: ticketing to see if any tickets were transferred to you from harry styles because i'm not sure i believe you carter
0: it's my alias it's my alias uh no, I got to tell you, walking into the office the last couple of days, the big thing with Harry Styles is all of his fans like to wear the boas—the big, colorful with feathers, everything going on. It looks like we uh, have done—we've defeathered a bunch of peacocks outside the United Center. There's just multicolored <laughs> feathers everywhere, littering the ground. They're just blowing off. everyone wearing these boas. Coming in at the night, uh, it's crazy. It's chaos, but it's it's a great. Seen people are lined up the merch thing opens up at like noon every day and there's a full line outside on a tuesday it's incredible but i have to ask you harry styles and i did not put this together i have to put that disclaimer on there but harry styles is known for his outfits Absolutely. and i'm yeah, looking at some anyways. of these now i have to get your 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 take on at least the first couple that he wore he opened it up on saturday night with a red white and blue sequin jumpsuit jacket pants everything going uh colby i think as i'm looking at this picture you would look fantastic in there that's your (laughs) fourth of july uh, (laughs) costume right
3: carter i gotta tell you something of all the outfits he wore that that are that you guys showed us the red white and blue sequin suit i mean i'm into it and i mean look i don't i won't say that i wouldn't wear something like that especially uh, if Chris was going to go with a matching outfit, although last time we wore matching outfits, it didn't go so the, well. the, head co- the head coach got fired the next day. So I don't know if we're going to want to be doing that at all this season. Maybe Kaylee and I will try our luck and, and go matchy-matchy one time. But uh, I, I'm into the blue sequin jumpsuit, the red, white, and blue one. I, I don't know how you guys feel. Kaylee?
2: uh i love chris and i discussed harry at length the other day actually (laughs) we uh we definitely want to go no we were so into it because (laughs) we were like how cool would it feel to be able to sell out the uc six times in like a week like how big a deal do you have to be to do that i've never heard of an artist maybe that's dumb being like doing six concerts like that in a row at the uc but I think it's a Selly, like you said. The red, white, and blue suit is cool. I actually like the green and the the striped one. It's funky and he kinda brings like Elton John's funk vibes every night. So Chris and I, I don't know about you, Colby and Carter. We would go to the concert for sure, I think, right, Chris? Even though yeah. we don't listen to his last we haven't really listened absolutely. to his last couple albums. It feels like a great, great time despite not having listened to his last two albums.
3: Well, all of our colleagues, you know, that I, at least ones that I follow on Instagram have been going at least one night. And I've seen a few people in our office on their Instagram story that have been there multiple nights. So he obviously has quite a fan base. Um, I actually got to see Harry Styles in like a really small, intimate setting. I don't know, maybe four or five years ago while he was still in his, you know, group. Um, He was... Doing something Holy, for, like, a radio a station. <laughs> so, no, but the Wendy. group didn't play. Kaylee, <laughs> the group the was answers. not playing. It was just Harry Styles, and it was oh. there was only, like, 150 people there. I had been doing some work for Westwood One, and I don't know. They were hosting something, and I was in L.A., and I got invited. So I was like, all right, why not? And I was actually really impressed with him as far as his, like, ability to sing You know, again, there was no band. There was not really much production. It was like a very raw sort of just like him showing off his like musical talent. And it reminded me a little bit of Justin Timberlake, who I am a big fan of. And I would go if Justin Timberlake was playing at the United Center six days in a row I would have made Chris you go with me one day Kaylee I would have dragged you there with me another and then Carter depending on how I felt you might have gotten the call out of the bullpen as well but you know I I, uh I am impressed with his musical ability like no doubt about that you can't question that
0: what's impressive to me is he sold out six straight shows at the United Center this week he was at the United Center like nine ten months ago too and I think sold out two or three shows there as well it's insane like we so talked when I heard about he was that. coming back, I was like, he was just here. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he was just here.
2: Feels good I, to I be Harry the, Styles. And he just had a movie.
1: <laughs> I think the, uh, I think right? the blue and he had the premiere of his red. movie. Oh, really? Wow, he's, he's a multimedia star at that. I didn't know that either. I didn't know that, Kelly. I think the blue and red sequence looks like it's out of uh, the four-star collection. <laughs> For the Blackhawks, I think he got that at the team store.
0: <laughs> we're going to get Colby wearing that between the benches on a broadcast this year. Really, I, yeah. It. I, I Honestly, if it was red, white, and status. blue,
2: I would
3: do it. If it was red, white, and blue, I would do it. I'm not into the to the striped, the green, and white. I'm, I'm looking at it here on my computer as we're doing this. Um, I'm not as much into the the green and white stripes, but but I really could get down with that red, white, and blue outfit. It does feel very Elton John, who I am a fan of. So um, we'll have to see what uh, our 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 team stylist and our team store has in store for us. And maybe there'll be some
0: uh, sequin jumpsuits in the future. We shall see. <laughs> or Maybe we'll see what size Harry is and see if you can squeeze into it, Coley. <laughs> okay. We'll see if he can well. just if can fall off the tour bus on the way out. I'm
3: probably a little bit wider than him. To be. <laughs> we'll just keep it that that wider. All right,
0: last uh last sellier chirp. We're going to keep it local. We're going to move to a sports side of this. The White Sox. They're parting ways with Jose Abreu, the most consistent hitter throughout his MLB career with the White Sox. He's been here since 2014. Uh, he's hit 25 more plus homers, 100 plus RBIs 6 times in 9 seasons, 2020. AL MVP, rookie of the year in 2014, uh, but Jose and the White Sox apparently parting ways. What's, uh, what's the selly? What's the chirp on this? Uh, a big loss for the White Sox, who have had a couple disappointing, uh, uh, I guess one disappointing year, uh, the season they, they just wrapped up here. We'll start with, we'll go back to Colby on this Wait, one. I gotta,
3: I, I'm gotta. going to start with a question on your mm-hmm. question, and I don't know if, if Kaylee, are you a ba- big baseball person, Kaylee?
2: I like to watch. I mean, I, I watch okay. hockey twenty four seven. I have two kids, so my the chances of me watching MLB games in my spare time are pretty F- minimum. But my sister worked for the White Sox, just yeah, totally fair.
0: Well, so yeah, my sister the question, did work
2: for the White Sox, so I kind of got into them for her. But it was like during COVID and kind of a challenge.
3: So then my question, I might might only be kicking this Chris your way because I know you're a. You're a big White Sox fan, so is is this Abreu related to the guy that I would have watched growing up on the Phillies, Bobby Abreu? Like he played for the Phillies my whole childhood, and he was like a good player for them. Was there for the World Series or whatever? Are, is this maybe like his son, or or are they like related at all, or no?
1: No, there's there's no relation. Abreu is a is a common Cuban last name, and that was kind of what. I think uh, made Jose Abreu's story so endearing at the start when he broke into the league because he was a, he was a big time star playing in Cuba and then at a, at a relatively late age relative to when baseball prospects come to the United States, he arrived and, and defected obviously from Cuba. That was the extra wrinkle to his situation by, by being a, a Cuban national. So he, uh, I, I remember that that 2014 season when he sort of took Major League Baseball by storm, and he's been a, a, a fan favorite really ever since at, at Guaranteed Rate Field and on the South Side. And I was at one of the final games of the season. The, the White Sox did a fantastic job. Chris Quintana and the and the communications team gave me tickets to the Guaranteed Rate Club. They brought me up onto the broadcast, both TV and radio side, to, to talk about the Blackhawks' upcoming season and do a cross-promotion that way. But it's amazing how many Jose Abreu jerseys you see at a White Sox game. I mean, it's it's like walking around the United Center before a Blackhawks game and seeing all of the, the 19 and, and 88 jerseys. I mean, that that's what it is with, with Jose Abreu. So he's been the face of the organization, and I, I think it's um, – it's definitely a chirp for me. Not that it, it you know anyone is in the wrong here. I mean these things happen, but it's just uh you know uh, it's it's sad that that the Jose Abreu era is is coming to a close because he by all accounts has been a, a stand-up guy and has loved and has really embraced the city of Chicago and the South Side in particular. So he had, he had a fantastic career. I, I mean on, on the field as a team, the White Sox were maybe the biggest disappointment in, in baseball this year and it, it's clear that they need to evaluate how things are run on on their end, but um, you know it was uh, it was a, it was a great run. He brought a lot of excitement to, to the south side for basically a decade.
3: Are they kind of into a rebuild spot now, Chris, if they're parting ways with their you know best player for a lot of years? Well, I think that's the problem. I, I think it's all
1: relative to expectations, right? You look at the Blackhawks and it's like they're open about this being a rebuild and, and that this is not a, a contending team at this moment in time. The White Sox thought they were playoff contenders, maybe even World Series contenders going into the season and, and had thought that the team was on an upward trajectory for the past couple of years before that. So I definitely don't think it's it's a rebuild. I mean, there are still some, some really good – Pieces on that team. They've got really good pitching. Uh, you know, Tim Anderson is uh, is you know a, a bona fide AL batting title contender year in and year out. So they've got they've got some pieces. But I think moving forward, looking at at what the team discovered about what went wrong this year, not that Jose was a, a part of the reason why or anything like that. I just I don't think he necessarily fits into the the long term vision for the team given his age mo- mo- mostly in particular
2: good to know that chris is our part time baseball analyst as well i love that <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a bigger a brave fan to- now after listening to that now i'm like i didn't watch any of him in the last few years really unless i had the time so I'm going to go back and watch his highlights. Actually, before this, I was looking at some of his YouTubes. I was very inspired by Tatias Jr. when we went to the baseball game to see him play. Not to see him play, but he was playing against the Cubs a couple of years back. I think he got suspended for this season. But I forgot how incredible some of these players really are when you get to see them up close. So... Thank you Chris. I think I'm going to go back and do a little digging. I feel like I should know more about him <laughs> considering what he meant to the city. No,
1: it, it, it it's all good and I, I feel the same way. Just why and I feel the same way to your point about, you know, we sort of take professional athletes for granted when we watch sports all the time like we do, but I'm telling you I was I, I was at practice the other day, Blackhawks practice the other day and we were at the we were at the Denver University practice rink and so it was literally like me the glass and and the guys practicing and um, just seeing how fast they move on the ice and, and how hard they're working, I mean, it really is impressive what, what these guys do, especially when, when you see them up close. It's that, that quality, maybe it just doesn't translate through the television screen necessarily, but I, I think that's a great point, Kaylee. When, when you're up close and personal and you see what these guys do and, and how they prepare and, and uh, what they have to do to keep themselves in, in physical condition to be able to perform at that level, I mean, it is, uh, it's, pr- it's pretty amazing.
0: Well, we—that's uh, a perfect segue, Chris, because after that practice in Denver, you were able to catch up with our guest for today, none other than Luke Richardson, uh, first year as a head coach, getting ready to really step behind an NHL bench in charge for the first um, first real time. He was able to step in as an as an interim head coach for the Montreal Canadiens a couple years ago in the Stanley Cup final, uh, but at that point the team's already kind of set. You're just you're just pushing things along. This is his first time. From the start, um, getting a team ready for an NHL season, uh, a team as we've talked about in a unique situation in, in the middle of a rebuild, looking towards the future, uh, a really a really insightful interview, Chris, and and one that we learned a lot of uh, cool facts, including this opening trip's going to have a, a little special guest for him. We'll we'll learn a little more about. Uh, as we go but uh, what was it like being able just to sit down with with luke for i think you spoke for 30 minutes maybe even longer uh just on not the eve what do they call the eve before eve minus one of the nhl season
1: (laughs) yeah yeah i guess uh yeah d-day minus one or something like that Eve, maybe i don't know yeah (laughs) well that that's a great tease though (laughs) carter uh that 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 is a great tease Uh, making
3: things up around here uh hey, well
1: this listen, was like don't get that me, don't mortar get me thing.
3: sidetracked here.
2: What was that drink, <laughs> Chris? All that all you we were the only one who you knew it. Try. Remember mortar the or uh Millard. Oh yeah. <laughs>
3: Yeah, we didn't. That a, I, we that had no idea about Malort, it. Chris was the only Malort, one Malort,
2: who had known Malort, Malort. Malort.
3: Yeah, yeah. Kaylee and I are looking at each other like, is Chris that making things up again?
2: V minus well, Kayleigh, E listen. and Malort are.
3: <laughs> Do you have any Malort behind you right now, Kaylee? I that mean, there's quite an Malort. assortment going yeah. right yeah. there. I you mean, a little. A little what there. what kind of coffee? What what kind of coffee <laughs> were you drinking this morning? A little Irish, a little Irish coffee for Kaylee this morning, that, or maybe
2: when we get. You know, when we get things rolling, I'll feel more comfortable. But I thought, uh, I'm in my basement. The kids are quite loud upstairs, so it's either this or I'm outside with the chickens. I don't know what Carter would prefer, but there's not a whole lot of quiet spaces in my house.
0: The bar speaks more to me than the chickens do. So I, like,
3: yes. I like the bar. Uh, it's a, it's right. a great backdrop. Well, I'll Very put
2: professional. some Malar in there. I don't even, is it end in a T or an R? Yes,
3: yes,
1: M-A-L-O-R-T. T.
2: Okay, I will. More, uh, maybe down the road. It's a we'll Chicago staple. Thank you. Okay, Carter. so it's and, a Chicago staple. You know,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And once you try it, you never forget. You'll never forget once you try it.
3: And what <laughs> I and and I hear you'll never drink it again as well.
1: Yes. Good to that's, know. Uh, that's my plan anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but we did not talk about Malort with Luke Richardson, sadly, and maybe no. maybe we should have. But in, in 30 minutes, I think the fans will really like this because it was a chance to really sit down with him. And, and he's been asked the hard questions about the team and and balancing – the rebuild with putting together a competitive product on the ice since he took the job in July. And we definitely went down that path as well in the conversation that I had with him. But I really wanted to take an opportunity to get to know Luke as a person, his background as a player, some memories that he had from his playing days, and how he got into hockey. Learned a little bit about his hometown of Ottawa as well. So I think it was a a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. And, And Luke has been so great to work with. I think all of us can say that in just the short time he's been the Blackhawks head coach. He's a a very thoughtful, insightful, kind man, and I think he really cares about the players in this organization. And I think that's actually his chief motivation to get into coaching and to continue to be a part of the game in this way because he sees himself as someone who has the opportunity to pass on what he learned as a player in this league for 21 years to the next generation and so that kind of selfless attitude i think um it, it is a great cultural foundation to have in, in the organization and I, I think blackhawks fans are really going to like the luke richardson era and uh, i think you'll really enjoy the conversation that i had with him on the road
0: all right well let's hear from luke himself uh with with chris just catching up in denver Well coach, thanks so much for joining us. It's
1: our first podcast episode of the season and we couldn't think of a better guest to really kick off the Blackhawks podcast this year.
5: Uh, So welcome, how are you doing? Great, thank you. Uh, I'm excited for the season. You know, we got uh, lots of work ahead of us, but um, you know, I think the guys are in a good mind frame to just get to work and uh, do what they need to do. And uh, you know, we've got some areas of improvement and, uh, and we've addressed them. And I think the guys have picked some Points that I've wanted to start the season off as a foundation and done a pretty good job of it. Uh, but, you know, there's just found some breakdowns in early exhibition season games that are really uh, glaring and, the, and those are what we've talked about. And, you know, we just want to try and clean those up along the way. We're going to take one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. We, want to, we don't want to do uh, 10 things half right. Sure. We want to do one thing really right, right and then move on to the next one.
1: So if I'm not mistaken, this is year 35 for you in the NHL as both a player and a coach. That's, that's, a, that's a generation, man. Congratulations, that's a long time. But you've got to be thinking that this is the most unique start to a season that you've ever had. It's your first season as a head coach in this league. When you reflect back on the entire body of work that you've put into this league, I mean, does this year really stand out to you? Yeah,
5: no, it's a great opportunity. You know, I've had uh, opportunities to play in the league, uh, be assistant coach, uh, interim head coach, but this is the first real full head time coaching gig in, in the NHL. Um, and, you know, I think I've just been reflecting on all of the things that I've learned from coaches I played for, uh, coached with uh, managers that I coached for just little things that you learn along the way that I you wish you knew back then. And I just want to pass all that on to the players. Uh, you know, that's really want to I do. I, I just want the players to do well. Um, It's really not about us, the coaches. It's about us just trying to get a plan in place that's proper for the players to succeed. And that's all we're trying to do.
1: I think I might know what your answer to this question is, but more nervous for your first game in the NHL as a player or as a
5: coach? Uh, Probably definitely a player because it was at uh, the stadium in Chicago in 87, right after a big trade with the Leafs and and the Blackhawks with uh, Eddie Olchek, which everybody knows, <laughs> and Al Secord. And then uh, it was, I think, Rick Vive and Steve Thomas and Bob McGill going the other way, which was key because that opened up a defense spot for a young defenseman coming in with Toronto. So played my first game, and there was a lot of buzz with the trade and division rivalries back then. And, um, you know, it was really exciting. But, you know, now, uh, you know, I think I'm, a, I'm more excited than nervous. Uh, I, you know, I... Can't wait to be on the other side of that national anthem, that excitement, not the intimidation part of it as an opposing team. And I just want to, I've told the guys that I said, we want to use that energy of the national anthem and, and the great sports city of Chicago to propel us out of our, out of the gate in our own rank. We want to use it as an advantage, as an extra tool.
1: That is so storybook, the way your career has come full circle like this. Your first NHL game is in Chicago. Now you're the head coach of the Blackhawks. When you were a player and then before you took the head coaching job as, as an assistant coach in the league, what were your thoughts about the city of Chicago and the hockey culture in town?
5: Yeah, I always loved it. Um, I remember being a young player. I think maybe I was in minor hockey and I want to say I I knew of Eddie Olchek just from the, him being drafted to the Chicago Blackhawks and coming out of the Olympic program. And I think his brother was in town in Ottawa when I was a young guy playing for Chicago minor hockey team, a high-level minor hockey team. And I remember going to the rink and watching him play, and I knew who his brother was from TV. And then I ended up being roommates with Eddie, my first road trip in Chicago. Um, And, yeah, and and, and it's kind of weird that it happens to be in Chicago. I've always loved the city of Chicago right for my first game that I think I just fell in love with like the sports attitude and the, and the support, uh, in the rink. And, uh, you know, it's just a beautiful city. It's, uh, I love to visit and just walk around downtown and learn about the history and, uh, you know, it's on the lake. I always love being around water. So that's just kind of another thing. It just brings more to the city for me, uh, with not just the lake, but the rivers running through it. So, um, I love just, you know, being a part of the city and the community now and I walk around every night and just try and take a different route every time just to kinda see and observe the city.
1: Have you tried Deep Dish yet?
5: I have and uh I actually I think I had it once at the stadium way back when I <laughs> when I wasn't dressing uh, for a game. Uh but it's not the same as uh maybe having it uh I think uh, I was at Lou's. It was uh you know, you gotta go, right? To where it's go. uh so I went in there and it was obviously I think it was a day off. So I had some time and uh, we're walking around the city. So I was really hungry. So it was perfect, uh, perfect comfort food to go home to. So it was great.
1: Deep dish is definitely a commitment. And just so you know, not many people talk about this, but Luz has really good thin crust too. If you ever in. I've heard you know, they've had both. From,
5: the, yeah, And I think, gluten which we have a friend coming to town so that's helpful to know that's great to know gluten free really that's
1: great to know uh your friend from ottawa by any chance
5: actually no uh boston so yeah
1: the reason i ask i know you're an ottawa guy that's where you were born that's where your playing career ended and and where your nhl coaching career started this is my first year in the nhl i've never been to ottawa so what's one thing that a first-time visitor to, to ottawa has to do
5: well, uh, I know the rink is way out in the suburbs. So uh, if you have a chance to go downtown, it's uh, for Canada. It's not as old as the U.S., but it's pretty, uh, uh, you know, close to the same time frame. Uh, and you know, it's got the historic Parliament buildings. It's the capital of Canada, so it's beautiful uh, to walk around there and visit that. And that's right beside the canal. So the canal's there. Summer, it's beautiful just to go for a run or a bike, rent a bike and or a scooter and go along the canal. And in the winter, uh, you can bring your skates and go for a skate along the canal. So it's, it's a pretty unique uh, city that way. It's a very active city, kind of like the waterfront in Chicago and the riverfront in Chicago or the riverway uh, pathways in Chicago. Uh, I find a lot of similarities that way. You see a lot of people out in the morning, uh, lunchtime and the weekends uh, exercising, and it, it just brings more of a community feel. So I, I kind of feel uh, Ottawa's not as near as big as Chicago, but they got the same, same sense of community atmosphere.
1: Any good places to eat in particular?
5: Uh, yeah, there's a couple in Ottawa. I think uh, if you like Italian, Giovanni's is probably the, the best uh, down Little Italy in Ottawa. And Little Italy in Ottawa is little. It's, not, it's one street. <laughs> so uh, uh, it's not hard to miss. But uh, it's great to go. And ironically, you said uh, it was my friend from Ottawa. I do have a friend coming to a game in Vegas. And the next time Vegas comes to Ottawa, because Vegas' head coach is from West Ottawa, where I'm from. Bruce Cassidy and one of our mutual best friends loves to heckle us and he is coming to sit between both benches and heckle both head coaches at the same time.
1: What's he going to be wearing?
5: Funny enough, he went and picked up. uh, I grew up playing for the Ottawa West Golden Knights and so did Bruce Cassidy. So he's going to pick my Ottawa West Golden Knight jersey to wear in the the Vegas rank kind of goes with the theme there. Sure. And then when he comes to Chicago, he's wearing the Blackhawks jersey that, uh, and it was a game worn by Bruce Cassidy. So <laughs> he's kind of feels like he's supporting both of us and he's kind of not going to ruffle any feathers in the crowd.
1: Well, we'll talk before that Las Vegas game and, and we'll, uh, we'll be sure to get him on our telecast of yeah. that game. We'll, we'll be sure to give him some some love and some airtime. So thank you for that. That's a good tip. How did you first get into hockey growing up as a kid?
5: Uh, well, my dad played hockey and, um, you know, I just grew up as I remember barely being able to walk, kind of going into arenas, watching him play senior hockey with guys like Brian Murray and, um, you know, which ended up being a longtime coach and general manager in the league. And I played for her at the end of uh, my career. Uh, so senior hockey was huge back then. Back it was original six teams and then just expansion. And um, my dad, I used to love going and watch him play. And he obviously wanted me to play hockey, so he got me skates and taught me how to skate and coached my first my first organized hockey. I was five years old, and it was an outdoor rink, and my toes were freezing every Sunday. <laughs> my mom would bring up uh, our, our front doormat and put it in the snow, and when it wasn't your shift, you'd sit in the snowbank, so my toes would be freezing, so I'd sit on the mat from the outside of her or a front door. So, uh, that was my introduction to hockey and didn't matter how cold it was. I couldn't wait for Saturday to come and play. And then I just kind of grew from there and just played every year and loved it. So got better. I was lucky enough that, you know, I practiced when our team practiced, but when we didn't practice, I put the skates on the end of my stick and walked to the local park and played to that same outdoor rink that I started on, uh, all the way up to junior hockey. So I think that was a huge benefit for me.
1: When did you realize that you could play in the NHL and that this could really be a career for you?
5: I don't know if I thought NHL I had aspired sure. aspirations to be in the NHL but when I was 13 I I was big uh I, I was I was growing fast and I think my my uh skating was always strong but it, because I was growing I just became stronger and and I kind of fell into uh you know a, a place where I felt like I was doing really well I was getting better and uh, was moving really quickly, and then from there, from 13 to 18, went really fast. I played, you know, Bantam hockey, and then I got called up to the midget team when we got beat out. Played in the national championship uh, as an extra player, which was some injuries, so I ended up playing lots and got some good exposure against older players two years older than me, and then I went right from there to junior B played with guys five years older than me, and then I went to junior A and played two years in junior A and then drafted to the NHL as an 18-year-old and played with guys like Borea Salming, which was double my age exactly. Could have been my dad. So wow. um, it, from the age 13, 14 to 18 went very quick, and my progression kept kept par. It, it kept growing with it as well, just because I think I was a big kid. I was probably almost the same size in junior b as i was my first year in the nhl and and then you know from there you're just working on your strength and toning your body to become a, a pro athlete so um you know when i it was a fast track mm-hmm. i enjoyed every minute of it i think that's why i made it um it was a passion and I, I was lucky enough to have the body to do it
1: i think it's cool that you were the seventh overall pick in your draft class and over the summer the blackhawks had the seventh overall pick as well and they drafted a defenseman. Who are all really excited to see how he develops in the organization, Kevin Korczynski. You played 21 seasons in the NHL, man. I mean, 1,400 games as a a defenseman, outstanding. 35 goals. That's only a few less than Patrick Kane in his career. So I'm just wondering. I mean, do you remember like every single goal that that you had? Because sometimes you know you only had one goal in a season. So. Looking back on your career, does every goal, memory stand out to you? Uh,
5: yeah, not every one, but uh, <laughs> the important ones, I guess. And I guess if you only get 35 and that many games, they're all important. But, um, you know, I re- I, I'm one of those guys, like ho- hockey sports nerds, I kind of remember things and, uh, you know, I remember my goals, but I remember other people's goals and special moments and being on the ice or at the game for that. And um, You know, I mean, I... I took pride in the job that I had to do. I'm not a Kevin Korczynski; totally different player. He can skate rings around me, that's for sure. Um, But uh, you know, I knew what my role was. I, I, I probably a little bit more offensive in junior and well-rounded defenseman and I, you know, I mean, I was on a team that was not a real strong team at the time in Toronto and you know, we were getting scored on lots and you know, I mean, I, I wasn't having a lot of offensive success as a young player. I don't get a lot of ice time on the power play and stuff like that. I just wasn't there yet. So you know, I think uh, working on my defensive game and trying to become a stronger defensive team member and paying attention to detail more on and trying to hone um, maybe a mold. Uh, kind of a style for myself that, that was going to last. And I didn't mind blocking shots or playing physical and stuff like that. I I liked it. I got, I enjoyed it. I play better when I'm a little bit more revved up and play physical. So I thought it was a natural route to go and, uh, it worked out well. And I was lucky enough to avoid a lot of injuries through my career, just a few. And, um, you know, it allowed me to play a long time and, um, you know, it had some success. And you know we didn't win the Stanley Cup. Got to the semifinals twice. Got to the finals coaching once, and uh, World Championship gold and silver. So there's some really and a junior B uh, title as well. So I had some really good moments in my career, but uh, still chasing the one that's been eluding. And uh, you know it might not be today or tomorrow, but it's going to be at some point. I'm just going to keep going after it.
1: Well, I got to ask, what was the most impactful goal that you scored in your career?
5: Uh. In my NHL career? I, I, uh, either
1: either or, NHL specifically or just broadly is
5: fine. Yeah, I don't know. I think um, probably, I, I know I had an overtime goal in uh, Philadelphia that was really exciting. You know, it, it ends a game. It's like a walk-off home run, right? You just skate to the dressing room. So that was very exciting. But um, for me, I had, that was in regular season, and I think it was four and four back then. But I think the most meaningful goal that I was a part of was uh, the longest game and third longest game in NHL history. I think it was the longest game in modern history. We went five overtimes against uh, Pittsburgh in a playoff game. And I got an assist on the game-winning goal by Keith Primo. And uh, I passed it over to my partner, Dan McGillis, and he went up to Keith Primo, and he made a great move and scored on one of my junior – teammates, Ron, Tug- Ron Tugnut, to end the game, and I remember just being so exhausted. It was about 3.15 in the morning when we scored. Got home about 6 in the morning. The no. birds were chirping, and you uh, got to play less than you know 30 hours later, and um, I think just being a part of that, and I, I have that game sheet. The team gave us a nice plaque um, you know, with, with a game sheet for everybody on it, and I have it hanging in my gym in Ottawa at home, and you know, just looking at it, it's, it's, a, it's a special thing. So, you know, I didn't score the goal, but I was a part of it. It was a great uh, honor to be a part of it, and uh, I think that really won us the series. Whoever won that game, they went up 3-1, or we, we tied it 2-2 with all the momentum, and they put all that effort in the game, and you lose. I could see it in their eyes when I was skating on the ice to celebrate, it, and they were skating off. You could just see it. We beat them 5-2 the next game, I think, so it was pretty much over.
1: Best teammate that you had in the NHL?
5: Oh, man, there's a lot. There's a lot of them, yeah. Um, you know, I have some great friends over the years that are really good teammates. Eddie Olchek still keep in touch with Eddie from years one. My my first roommate, him and his wife, Diana, always looked after uh, myself and Stephanie when we were young in Toronto and, and still keep in contact till to this day so uh pretty special like and showing me the ropes i think he took me for a nice breakfast at a nice i forget what diner it was but i'll have to find out in uh, chicago my, before my first yeah, game let me know, definitely. and we won the game so it was a it was a good luck uh diner but um you know eddie's uh, special and then you know going through my years you know i had a lot, lucky enough to play with a lot of really good veterans like uh you know brad marsh and uh, rob ramage and toronto and Borea Salming were like great mentors as older players to me. And then I went to Edmonton and Kevin Lowe and Craig McTavish, like what great mentors like uh, that were players that have had success in the league and and took the time to not just show me the ropes by going, Hey, rookie, come on, you know, like do it this way. Actually, you know, we're, we're your teammate and your best friend, like, like, and and you're part of the family. And, uh, you know what? And then I, I moved on to Philadelphia and again, you know, I had a chance to play against Rick Tockett for years and we'd battle like two hammers going against each other. But as soon as you get together with a, a teammate, a new teammate that you used to battle hard against, you have ultimate respect and you become best friends right away and you know it and you feel it and it's a strong bond. So they're, they're all really special for sure.
1: Well, I hope you don't mind me saying, I, I think, Safe to say that Philadelphia was the high point in your career in terms of your hair. That's some really good flow then. We'll, we'll, we'll try and get a picture of that in, into the podcast as well. How about the toughest player that you had to shut down in the NHL as a defenseman?
5: Yeah, Cam Neely is probably one of them. I know people – I, I can say Wayne Gretzky and Mary Lemieux 10 times over, and it is true by far uh, in different ways because there are different styles of player, even though they're great. But – I, I used to remember dreading Boston and right winger, left defenseman, just line up every face off, every D zone, and and you know what we had we never got any any tussles or really yellow matches or anything. We just had some really good hard hits, uh, a couple battles and standoffs in front of the nets, and but just mutual respect. We both played hard, uh, physical but not not dirty. And respected each other and did our business as best we could against each other. And I, th- I thought it was a probably one of the toughest opponents, like a guy that was that big and strong and mean in front of the net with good hands. Like it's a pretty hard combination to come by.
1: All right, I, I do have to follow up with you a little bit on on that because you have a reputation of, of being a player's coach and, and a high character guy. But some of the most iconic moments of your career, involve fighting and I I know that's part of the game but when you look back at your reputation as as a player and and some of the of the fights that you did participate in um, you know was it just a a case of hey you know didn't want to fight but but had to when it when it happened or how do you reflect back on your reputation as a player?
5: Yeah I think there was there was a lot of all the scenarios you know what I mean when you're around that long you hit all the scenarios (laughs) but I think you know what if I had to pick a category that was the most often reason why I had fights was usually standing up for teammates, um, or someone coming after me because they're standing up because I laid out one of their teammates and it was probably the same, most of the, the same theme either way resulted in the same. If, if I look back, there wasn't a lot of, for no reason, mm-hmm. stand back and fight. I thought, you know I mean? Like you make it a reason you're losing the game. You're mad. You're punished. they good players may send a message so they're not going to play as good or as comfortable the next time they're in town other team other players don't like that they protect their players same thing they're going to do that to our team and we're not going to let it happen so that was my mentality on fighting
1: so you you actually started your final season as a player in the nhl retired in, in the second month of the season approximately and then shortly thereafter became an assistant coach with the ottawa senators your hometown team at what point in your career did you did you realize that coaching was the next step for you
5: uh, pretty early I, you know i started as 18 year old so um you know i got lots of experience early so you know what was i going to do with that experience i think naturally i i just kind of a guy that would a new player would come to town i'd let him borrow a car or, or come live at our house for a while or have have him over for dinner that's just the way we were um, me as a teammate and our family as a family, we were part of the hockey family too. So we always did that. And I think because of doing that, it became, uh, like a, you were mentoring off the ice, but it became, I was mentoring on the ice, on the bench. And I think I learned that from Boris Solomon in my first year, he used to grab me. We had a hard nose coach. He wasn't the most X's, X's and O's coach, John Brophy, real tough guy. Taught me how to play uh, hard and mean every day, and train in the in the uh, you know train your body to be physically fit uh, for the National Hockey League. But the exes and O's wasn't really there, and I think the older players knew that, so they'd grab me on the bench. and Borya had that raspy voice, and he'd, be like, he'd call me Lucas. And he'd be like, "Lucas, you gotta do this." So he'd shake my arm, and then he'd jump over the boards and go play a shift, and he wouldn't miss a beat. And I really admired that, and I tried to emulate that as I got older to help the young guys while they were going without affecting my game and I thought I did it pretty well and I think coaches counted on me and I you know I kind of you know you kind of thought you know I mean oh if I was a coach I would do this or I wouldn't do that or something and then I kept realizing I kept saying that so as I got older I got to a, a, a time when I went down to Tampa and played one year in Tampa and John Tortorella I don't know if he was on the same page as the management when they signed me. So he told me right out. He's just, everybody knows the way he is. He's very upfront. He said, I, "I don't visualize you being a starter. You're going to be probably the seventh D." I said, "I'll give you whatever I have whenever you need me." And I think he appreciated that. And I played a little bit and had some success. And then I didn't play very much the second half. So he came up to me in the gym one day. He knew I was frustrated, and he said, "I respect what your career and what you did." I don't want to see you finish your career on a stationary bike. Would you like to do some coaching duties while you're not playing, if you're not playing, but I need you to stay in shape and ready that if someone goes down, we, we need you. I said, I can do that. Wow. So it was great. It was a great experience right from the first game. I think it was the first game I go upstairs with the goalie coach, Jeff Reese, which I played with and we come down in between periods and he wanted our opinion on what we saw up top. And it was three nothing for, I think Arizona after the first period, we were not very good and we were a good team. So the door was closed. He's yelling in there and Jeff Reese goes, Oh, get out of the line of sight because we're all taken. If it's just whoever's in the of uh, line of his sight. So we go down to the coach's room. I'm standing there, he comes in, he's swearing, he's yelling, he's going off and he's yelling at the video coach. I want to see this. And then he comes by and he stops and I'm standing in the door frame and he looks at me and he, and he, and he's all fired up and he goes, and what did you see? And I was like, well, guys weren't ready to play from the start of the game. I wasn't lying. I'd say the same thing if I was in the dressing room to the guys. And he's like, yeah, you're right. And he went back and he was <laughs> like, <laughs> so it was a good experience for me. He had he had me in the coach's room preparing the playoff booklet, and I still practiced every day with the extra players, trying to keep everybody ready, whoever was needed. So I never got in a, a playoff game that year, but I thought I was uh, valuable to the team in a different way. And I think that was kind of the real first sign like that I really got that that uh, bite I wanted to coach but I ended up going to Ottawa the next year played a full season and then the next year played I made the team on a tryout and played about a month and a half and then I didn't play very many games but I was there with the team and then uh, Brian Murray had to make some um, you know roster moves and I was older defenseman and they had to bring some they wanted to bring some guys in they were struggling and I was going to have to go on waivers. So he goes, you probably don't want to go to the minors and play. And I said, well, not specifically. And he said, I could put you on waivers, see if someone claims you. And I'm like, but he said, or I can do it in a way and let everybody know that you're not going to go. And you're going to retire. And we're going to, we can offer you a spot on the coaching staff. They had a very small coaching staff at the time. And he goes, I've already talked to the coaches and they'd be happy to have your help. And I said, I'll take it because it's my hometown. I'm 39. It probably won't be there next September. And he's like, I can't guarantee that. And I said, well, I could chase it around for another eight months and then come back, and it's not, that opportunity is not there. So I thought it was a smart and right move to do, and uh, ever since I've been coaching.
1: And you did do some time in the AHL, in in the minors. I, I did time in minor league baseball as a, as a broadcaster. I know what that life is like down there. What is life like in, in the minors in hockey?
5: Um, you know, I, I, enjoyed my time there. So it was funny cause, uh, I went there and I was so excited to go, um, you know, first head coaching opportunity. Uh, I, I've been to, I was into Binghamton a few times before, just some kind of player development while I was coaching in Ottawa. And, uh, I just thought, you know what, this is a great opportunity for me. I was the only one excited to be there. Cause everybody else is going to be cut from Ottawa they all want to be playing in Ottawa and I'm the only guy that wants to be there so I said that I led that off in my first meeting with the players I said you know I'm probably the only one in the room that is excited to be here right now but it's an opportunity for you guys to get to the next level so that's what the way I treated it was as a stepping stone for guys in their career where they want to go Uh, and sometimes it's maybe just from getting into the league getting your first step into the American League to be in Maybe you're capped off, maybe you don't get to the NHL, but you're a top-end top, top end guy in the American League and make a good living and, and enjoy the game you love. I just wanted to create an environment for the guys that that gave them the best chance to do their, their best there, to get seen at their best.
1: In terms of your coaching philosophy and style, I, I'm thinking back to something that you said at the start of our conversation when, you know, as a coach, now you think about all the things that you wish you had known as a, as a player in the league, and want to pass those on, what are some of those lessons?
5: Um, I think you know you're not just going out and as a young player you're just you're so excited to play the game you just play the game, so you don't have a lot of thought press process of how the tactics that a coach will have like who's on the ice at the end of a period when it's three uh, two when you're when you're leading or when you're losing three two at the end of the game um, you know i mean uh, it, carrying the puck up the ice and uh, are you just dumping it in uh, to dump it in or, or are you going to try and dangle someone, turn it over, and they come down and score a goal in the last minute. Like just little things that you learn, the hard lessons you learn along the way that you you kind of now and they're embedded in you as a coach and you try and get them across to those guys so they don't make those tough mistakes. They can kind of, if they can listen and, and absorb and learn that without making those mistakes, they're still learning it but they're going to cut out some errors which is going to hopefully track their progression faster so they can get to a knowledgeable veteran player at a younger age is what I'm trying to do.
1: I'm really interested to ask you this next thing because I I get asked a lot as the broadcaster about the rebuild dynamic and the rebuild situation around the team this year. And I think back to something that, that you told Kyle Davidson, and, and you told us this on one of the first days of training camp, that you're going to try and make Kyle Davidson the general manager's job as hard as possible by winning as many games this season. You know, a lot of people out there think that that the Blackhawks are tanking, if you will, to get the first overall pick in, in the draft next year. And and as a coach, how are you handling the the rebuild dynamic and, and sort of being a middleman between – what the general manager wants and then what the players and, and the fans want.
5: Yeah, I think uh, my job as a coach is to coach the team. And we're going to coach the team as, and, and our whole staff. We uh, have a really good bond quickly already. We're, we're trying to find the best ways to give ourselves the best chance to win every night. That's the way we approach the game. We want the players to approach the game. And Kyle approaches the game like that too. Just the reality is, is where we've maybe traded players that – we're at a higher caliber. Uh, we're starting at a lower level right now. we got to build ourselves back up. That's why we have to create a really good foundation that mm-hmm. we can fall back on. And cause there will be some stumbling blocks, but if you get that big, that foundation base, we can bounce back up quicker and that's what we need. Um, you know, I think just, you know, making Kyle's job hard is going to be hard, right? That's going to be hard. So this league is hard to win no matter who you are, what team you are. Yeah. So, the position we're in, I, I choose to neglect the term rebuild. I just, you know, I mean, I, I'm a coach. I, I don't think that way. Uh, but do I realistically know what position we're in? Yeah. And, and we got a long road with a lot of hard work. We're not afraid of it. So I, I, and I, we want to make the players not feel afraid of the work. Make, let's do the work, the sacrifice early. We're going to have some payoffs and some dividends down the road. And do we have the patience for that? Maybe not every day. So some days we have to bring them back and, and realize that where we are, let's, we got to go through step one and step two. We can't skip to step five. If we do, we're going to be chugging and kicking this around for years. Mm-hmm. But if you can do step one properly, step two properly, step three property, not knowing how long that's going to take, it might, we might be stuck on one for a while we might get through one quick and then two, we might get stuck on two for a while. but we can't go to three until we're good on two. Otherwise, we, don't, we lose our structure at the bottom. And I think that's everybody from coaches to the veteran players to the younger players to the guys that come in and out that we call up from Rockford. We have to have a, a knowledge of how we're going to play, our identity here, and we're going to do it every night uh, to our best. And I think that creates a culture of, of expecting more, uh, not being satisfied when we do cr- achieve a little bit more. And uh, we keep pushing, and I think we will get there. I don't want to put a timeline on it. I'd love to say it's going to be quicker, and I always hope that things sure. are going to be quicker. I'm pretty op- optimistic that way in hockey, but we will have to take some steps. And uh, right now, I think the guys have made some good steps in training camp, but when we, we have a hiccup, uh, it's usually a big one. And we have to we have to really like focus on minimizing those, especially against like a season opener against Colorado. You can't have too many of those or they're gonna make you pay.
1: Well, I'm gonna to have to rewatch this and I'm gonna go back to this answer because I'm gonna write down and take notes on, on your response to that because I, I think you hit the nail on the head and it's good for me to hear when I get asked the same questions as well. I'll get you out of here on this. What does success look like for this team this year? And, and, and maybe if you could break the season down into chunks, what's a benchmark that you want to see this team at for example, at the All Star break or or at some other moment in the season.
5: Yeah, I don't want to put like a position in the standings or a number of on the points total, because I don't want to ever cap a team. Sure. Or put pressure on a team a if point. it's too much. So, um, no matter if we're, you're in a, a young team that's in transition or a Colorado Avalanche, I just I don't want to do that. I I think what I want to do is, you know, you paint a picture of what we look like now, and where basically we should all be on ground level, building that structure, that first platform, that base that we can always go back to, we can fall back to. So our, our systems, our trust with one another, our work ethic, our attitudes coming to the rank—all those are grouped in there, and that's what forms what we are now. Uh, you know, in the middle of the season, I'd love to see us uh, showing strides of getting over of cer- over certain humps, getting over games where we can hold a lead in the third period. We can we show a little bit of maturity where we don't crack and crumble, um, you know I mean, uh, coming out early and then only playing 20 minutes and then thinking, of being satisfied with that. And then it comes back to haunt us and we don't play great for 40 minutes and you lose a game or, or you make it close where you're just not feeling confident about it. Uh, and then you get to the end of the year where we are feeling comfortable in close games, uh, confident in ourselves, coming back from uh, an early deficit in a game or maybe a couple losses in a row, getting over that hump and getting a a crucial win and getting uh, the tide turned the other way, especially at home using our home, ice to our advantage by the end of the year, I want it to be a place that's very tough to come and play in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's exciting to watch and we get results. So between now and then that's the transition I'd like to see the team have.
1: Start another season, man. We're all really excited. Thanks so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. It's been great to work with you so far and, can't wait for the full 82.
5: I got it. I can't wait either.
1: Well, I can't say enough just how much I enjoyed that conversation with Luke really felt that I got to know him better as a, as a person and as a hockey guy and really excited to see what this season has in store and, and what the, the future of the organization has in store with Luke Richardson as the head coach. I think we're really going to
0: enjoy continuing to get to know him. Get to know him. And, uh, You got a couple recommendations when you go to Ottawa for the first time, too. That was nice. I like that. You're getting getting a little both of them, or a little bit of both uh, there, Chris.
1: NHL road life, man. Yeah, I got to, you know, I'm I'm not buying, uh, you know, tour books or anything like that. I'll just go straight to the source and and ask the guys who have been in this league a long time where to go.
0: (laughs) He's been around more than most, you know, 10th all time in games played by a defenseman. He knows all the ins and outs of every city. So it's a good resource to have on the road. Well, that'll do it uh, for our first episode of the season of Blackhawks Insider. Uh, special thank you to to Luke Richardson for joining us, uh, having a at length conversation with Chris Foster's Chris Kaylee. Welcome to the show once again. Thanks for having. Thanks for stopping by, and we'll see you again next week. And uh, look forward to a lot of varied conversations. Maybe we'll get Colby in the uh, Harry Styles outfit here soon. And we'll just, uh, we'll see what happens. But we're going to have some fun this year, everyone.
3: What Thanks, a treat Carter. Really looking be. forward to it.
0: <laughs> be careful what you wish for,
3: Kaylee. You Maybe have to work night, with next me podcast.
2: a lot. I'd love to see something <laughs> like it. <laughs> oh,
3: no. I'm coming in hot to the studio show with that outfit one day. <laughs> well, yeah. for Chris, Kaylee,
0: and Colby, I'm Carter Baum. We'll see you next time on Blackhawks Insider, presented by Chevy Drive Chicago Drive with King and Taves Drive.